The Lord be with you. Welcome to Thin Places, the podcast channel of St. Aidan's Anglican Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I'm Father Lee, the pastor here at St. Aidan's, and I want to invite you to join me here each week as we join together to share common prayer, common worship, and common life. And just as the streams feed the trees on their banks till they pour in the seas, so may my life be to all those who share this wilderness road. All right, so we're going to start off with a video. Kind of like this. We're actually going to have two videos. The it's first amazing. one is is a tongue-in-cheek explanation of why uh, children's ministry is so important. Oh, Bernstein Bears. Are we watching that? No, we're watching uh, Mr. Thompson, oh. the vicar in Vent Children's Church. Crumpets, crumpets, crumpets. Scones, scones, scones. Mmm, yes. Good morning, Vicar. Good morning, Mr. Thompson. Wonderful service yesterday, Vicar. Ah, thank you, Mr. Thompson. A bit humbly-jumbly with the clatterings of noisy little children, however. Yes, a veritable cacophony of whines, whimpers, shuffles, and scamperings from those whose youth has rendered them incapable of worshipping our Lord as he commands, like proper Englishmen. And many of our older members found their discord rather distracting. Vivian Jambutter, for example, told me that her fussy little band of offspring has prevented her from experiencing an uninterrupted service for the better part of a decade. Yes, and Constable Fishbottom complained to me that the congregation's children raised a ruckus during at least 15% of your 98-minute preachment yesterday. Yes, and if the children can't sit through such a brief homily, how can we possibly expect them to remain unfidgeted during a proper sermon? So then, Vicar, it appears that the problem set before us is that the children are inhibiting the establishment of a distraction-free worship service for the adults. How might we unpuzzle this conundrum? Hmm. Say, Mr. Thompson, why don't we suffer not the little children and forbid them from coming to church until they prove themselves worthy of the presence of Christ in his kingdom? Perhaps we could find a better approach, Vicar, as what you've just suggested is rather exactly the opposite of what Jesus commands in Matthew 19:14. Is it? I'm afraid so, Vicar. However, perhaps we could compromise. What if, instead of hindering children from coming to Christ entirely, we only mostly hinder them by removing them from the divine service in the sanctuary and sending them to another part of the building where some half-trained layman can give them a paltry amount of instruction buried beneath the clutter of crafts and activities that will only further erode their minuscule attention spans. And you think the congregation will embrace this? If we give this practice a rather holy-sounding name, I believe they will. But what could that name possibly be? St. Crispin's Ghost, I've got it! Success. Yes, the most triumphant victory for age segregation induced propriety. 
I can tell you that the adults quite adored not having their worship of Christ disturbed by the horrific sound of children learning to be Christians. Yes, and I'm happy to announce that the young ones were rather enraptured by their custom-fitted form of worship that required turning their attention to the saving word of God for a mere five seconds before they were invited to dive headfirst into a pile of pencils, paste, and puppets for the remainder of the hour. So then, all in all, I'd say children's church is a perfect solution to the problems created by the stuffy old multi-generational model of worship so foolishly employed by all the Christians in the history of forever until five <laughs> seconds ago. Indeed, Vicar. However, might there be some long-term drawbacks associated with our rather ingenious innovation? I can't fathom a one, can you? Unfortunately, yes. I foresee obstacles on each end. Concerning the adults... It's worth noting that kicking annoying Christians out of the sanctuary in order to remain nice and cozy is not substantially different from kicking annoying doctrine out of the sanctuary when it makes you equally uncomfortable. Therefore, I fear that by encouraging parents to dismiss their bothersome children, we may inadvertently train them to dismiss our Lord himself whenever his word nags and whines at their consciences. And as for the children, since one of the greatest causes of youth turning away from the faith is never seeing their parents exercise the faith, it's perhaps a profoundly stupid idea to take them away from their parents during the one measly hour a week when that actually happens. So while children's church may result in keeping our sanctuaries rather tranquil today, I'm afraid that the practice will quite likely result in keeping those same sanctuaries rather empty in 30 years. Wait a bliffity second there, Mr. Thompson. Are you actually suggesting that refusing to bear one another's burdens and engage in the kind of self-sacrificing fellowship divinely prescribed by the apostles is harmful to the spiritual formation of adults? And are you furthermore suggesting that never hearing the actual pastor of your church preach to you and never learning the liturgy and never sharing a hymnal with your mother or kneeling beside your father at the communion rail and never seeing your neighbors be baptized and never hearing the same gospel from the same Bible that transcends generations and cultures and brings salvation to people of all ages actually be detrimental to our youth? Well, when you put it that way, I suppose children's church sounds perfectly harmless. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Oh, Lutheran satire. They are, they are clever and pointed. <laughs> so, let's just imagine that that <coughs> is not the best way to go about Engaging children in our worship, and let's listen to. We never do macaroni art. Come on, Jake. Make a macaroni cross, and then we all will be redeemed. <laughs> let's hear what David Fitch has to say about being present in the lives of children. So historically, children. I mean, the church has always had a practice of somehow uh, educating, nurturing their children into the kingdom. Um, but why does the Roman Catholic Church make confirmation a sacrament? Why does you know the teaching <coughs> and the being of children formalized in the catechesis? Why does that hang on as a sacrament? Why infant baptism or what uh, what us free church people do, dedication. That's the sacrament. Presence. It's because the church is recognizing this, this unbelievable way that he comes to be present when we will be present with children. Present with children. Okay, so 
So this, this is really counterintuitive in our day because it just seems like we're managing our children a lot, getting them off to professional programs a lot, finding a way to distract them, to keep them from what we're doing a lot. Uh, so all, the first thing I want to help us see is that there is something really, 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 really important that happens to the adult and to the child when they can come down to the level of the child and be present to them. Now, um, this happens in many different ways. I mean, uh, it happens in... in I mean, I don't want to say that, yeah, okay, you get a, like a six-month-old baby that um, is crying and, and has colic and, uh, and, and you just be present there and the baby's going to become magically silent and look in your eyes. And, no, that's not the point. Um, but we, we got us, like I would, so I take my son, I've been taking my son out for breakfast since he was one, since he could eat edible food at McDonald's. Don't shame me for taking him to McDonald's. Uh, but, but we got to know each other over a table in eating. And this place of presence. Um, I feel like, so at Life in the Vine, so first of all, presence is this capacity to quiet yourself and pray, just like the Eucharist, presence with your child and the children and say catechesis class. So this kind of presence though sets the stage. It doesn't solve all our problems of will the kids please shut up so we can have church on Sunday. It, it, it sets the stage though for everything that goes for I believe one of the one of the reasons why so many children, so many kids, so many teenagers, so many uh, people leaving after they get past the age of 18 or leaving the churches, we've just never been present to the children in the church for a very, very long time. There is no connection. And so we have an ADHD culture. We have video gaming, tablets galore. Everything is... And, and there's, there's a lack of presence. So I, I tell you, I hope he doesn't see this 10 years from now when he's growing up and graduating college. But I have a son. He's crazy. He's crazy. He's, 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 he's like me, ADHD. He can't hold his attention on anyone thing. But if I will order breakfast, and I will sit down, and I will say the Eucharistic prayer, thank you, Lord, and I will pray the invocation. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I do not believe this is just between, I've heard this over and over again. I say, Lord, be present. I'll look at him, and I'll wait for him. Say I'm here for you. Suddenly, I'm desperately trying to get him to talk to me at the age of eleven. Suddenly, maybe three to five minutes later, he starts to open up and starts talking to me. You know, I I keep saying, dude, you're eleven years old. Can we talk about girls? No, no, I don't want to talk about girls. <laughs> okay, I can't talk about I can't get him to talk about girls, but we're talking about what's going on in his life now. Presence now. At Life on the Vine, when we first started, we said, uh, every, so, so we had the Sunday morning gathering. We said everybody has to be with the children at least once every eight weeks. We're going to have a regular teacher in there. 
four weeks at a time, but we want everybody in there once at least every eight weeks. Go be present. We would have this, um, um, it's, a, it's a Lutheran way of teaching all the Bible stories. You have to get down, go through the stories, and the kids would start opening up. They'd say things like, I don't believe in God anymore. You know, I would go, dude, you're five years old. What's going on? No, I didn't do that. I'd go, oh, tell me more about that. I don't see him. All of a sudden, I'm going to have to ask, well, I don't see him either. How do I know him? How do you know him? Do you know these, these little children ask some of the greatest questions? And they, uh, they, ask, they have some of the greatest answers. I know God when I, when I see him uh, in the smile of my mom first thing in the morning. I sense his warmth. You know, and so all I'm saying is we, we after like six months, a year, two, three years, we had people sneaking into the children's area. <laughs> I just want to be with the children today. His presence is real there. Now, I, I just want to say this one more thing. It just doesn't start in this close circle. It goes into all the other circles. And it goes into that dotted circle in the neighborhood. I mean, and then the half circle. Some of the most incredible engagements we had in our neighborhood were with, were through Max when he was a baby and when he was a toddler. And my wife would just hang out with other babies and other toddlers. Because she was a first-time mom and she's freaking out and it's, she's going nuts at home, ch changing diapers, whatever. Oh my goodness, the people we met. This was the greatest connector of mission ever having a baby in the house our children are it's just, being with children is a practice that changed the world if you read in, in the chapter I talk about how the first church the first 150 years they would take little babies off the scrap heaps and bring them in and raise them as their own they got known around the world for that and this this is how God used this is what God used to save the world being with children is an essential practice we need to learn all over again in the church today. I think for, for most of us at St. Aidan's, we know that the way that we approach children's ministry is different than probably other communities that you've been in in the past. Um, because it was important to us from the very beginning that St. Aidan's be a place where the children were always with us in the midst of worship. Um, for exactly the reasons that, you know, in, 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 in a tongue-in-cheek way, the first video pointed out. Like, the, the children learn by watching, but also we learn what it looks like to take care of other people and to get outside of ourselves in the midst of worship when we have kids around us. Um, they, they, they have this incredible power of pulling us out of contemplative places and into practical places, the places where Jesus is really actually present working. You know, not the things that, that, that I'm internalizing and have, but, it, but, but things that are tangible, things that are right here and right now. That they invite us into a place of, of caring and concern and vulnerability and honesty in a way that, like, when we're in a worship space with only adults, we can kind of, 
you know, we can pretend, but you know, when we're when we're trying to remind a kid what what they're supposed to be doing, we're like, oh, but I'm not doing that. I, I, <laughs> like we, now's the part where we kneel. Why do we kneel? That's a good question. Let me think about it for a second. <laughs> you know, the the standing and the sitting and all of the the motions that we go through that that shape us as we're engaging with the liturgy, but then also in all of the other places in our lives, we've we've been intentional about saying, you know, when we do prayer walks, we bring the kids with us. We don't have a separate space for them. Uh, you know, when we do our, our outreaches, you know, through the, the bazaar that we used to do, the kids were a part of that. They were a part of the, the, the preparation. They were a part of the setup. They were a part of all of that because it was not just something that the adults are doing and the kids are just, you know, sort of along for the ride, but it's, this is, this is something that we're all doing together. This is the, the whole church, and we believe that every single one of them is a part of the body of Christ in exactly the same way that, that every other one of us is a part of the body of Christ. And that wasn't a way of encountering children's ministry that I that I had from from the people that ran <coughs> ministry along the way. It was always, let's do something for them so that they're over here and then we can create you know space for the adults to do the adult stuff. And, you know, sometimes it's been really distracting and it's been really hard to, you know, to get through a service. We've we've had many times where the kids have, you know, for one reason or another, have just they, you know they've just gone off the rails, and and it's super distracting, um, and that's okay. It's <laughs> I think that's the part of it. Like it, it's okay for us to be distracted because you know sometimes things happen in my life where I'm completely distracted from everything that's going on around me and, and what's happening, and and that's okay too to to recognize that Jesus is present in our lives in the midst of our distractedness in the same way that he is in the midst of our of our being you know uh, attentive to his presence in a particular location that that he is still in the midst of his people in all of those different uh, situations that we find ourselves in so as I was reading through this chapter again this week I was um, I was impressed by this idea that this was toward the end of the chapter. He said that as we become attentive, or as we are present to the children, then with them, we become attentive to the presence of Christ. That Christ is uniquely present in our midst when we are being present to the children who are around us. So what do you think it is that children can teach us about God and about His kingdom? that interacting with adults can't? Well, a lot of adults like to... I like to know everything. And I like you to think I know everything. Mm -hmm. But children don't know everything. And they know everything. Mm. And they're willing to ask you a question. Mm -hmm. And they're willing to be open to your answer. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a way. And even to say, no, that doesn't make sense. Right. Like, they'll, they'll call push you on back. it. Yeah, yeah, they'll push back on the answer mm -hmm. that you give to. Yeah. They don't have as many filters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, they don't ask nuanced questions. They get right to the point right away, don't they? <laughs> ask those questions. I'm like, I wish I got an answer. I asked them. <clears throat> We put up more and more guards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we try to like, keep ourselves safe, or, or kind of like Jenny was saying, like we 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 curate a version of ourselves, you know, that that is presentable to the particular environment that we're in. And kids just, you know, they they cut right through it, and they see right through it. <laughs> I was watching this kid. Um from my desk like a week ago and so he was my desk is like right at a window that goes out into a long sidewalk and then the streets in front of me and he was at the end of the sidewalk and I guess his mom or dad or something was over here and I couldn't see the parent I could only see the kid and he was I don't know maybe Ian's age or something and of course I couldn't hear him because the door was shut and it was really interesting because the noise of this tantrum wasn't like Ah, shut up. It was just like I was watching this kid have this epic meltdown tantrum uh -huh. without the distraction of his screaming. And I was like, man, look how free that kid is to express exactly how he feels in this moment. Mm -hmm. I am so jealous. <laughs> like, he just was like, this is how I feel, and I'm going to tell whoever's around all about it. Deal with it. Yeah, so I don't know. There's something about that freedom to express themselves that mm -hmm. we don't. We, we have rules that they aren't necessarily always expected to follow, like mm -hmm. social norms. It's interesting because it, like, as, as we describe these different things, it's almost like there's something about children that we admire. We're like, oh, when I grow up, I want to be like children. <laughs> you know, like that, you know, yeah. whatever that, 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 that thing is, you know, being able to, to ask questions in a, in, in a, you know, a straightforward way or not be worried about what people think about you for asking the questions that you're asking or, you know, there, there's a, there's an honesty and a, a vulnerability and a humility that, that kids have that, um, you know, that we lose along the way, I think. So this is on, on page 80 the end of that paragraph he's he's talking about welcoming so he's he's quoting here from um, from Matthew's gospel and you know Jesus points out this little child and he explains that whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me and he points out that the important the, the word welcome it connotes patience and embrace and openness and genuineness and I, he doesn't say it in in this book, but in the in the longer version, in faithful presence, he points out that this is this this word of welcoming is the word for hospitality in in Greek. That this is a a hospitality word. That whoever it's not just whoever you know smiles at children and is kind to them, you know, welcomes me. It's something it's something even larger than that. And then he goes on at the end there. He says, when you receive a child into your presence, you also receive the presence of Jesus. A space is opened up where God can work. It's a space where God in Christ not only transforms children's lives, but transforms the adults in that space as well. That Jesus is at work transforming hearts and lives in a unique way in the presence of children. 
And that's just something that I don't think that I've ever heard someone describe in that way. But the way that he, he takes that and he distills it into the sacramental language and, and says that Jesus' presence is uniquely uh, communicated to us in the presence of children, just like it's uniquely communicated to us in, in baptism, in the Eucharist, in, 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 in all of the, the sacraments of the church, that being in the presence of children brings us into the presence of Jesus in a unique way. And we encounter him in a way that we don't in other places and other spaces. Have you had an experience of that? Where you encounter Jesus in a unique way in the presence of children? Um, a couple of years ago, well, I guess when Tully and Mo were, I don't like four or probably five, during the Easter service, it was like that first one we let them go to the late night and they were not paying attention and they were being so bad. And they started, they like to draw on themselves. And I. As we told the Easter story, I drew it on their arms and legs. And it was really, I was, I was just doing it to like calm them down, make them sit. But it was like, that kind of like we drew out the whole Easter story as we were telling it on them. And that was kind of fun. It's like, <laughs> I made it until he's like, don't remember. We have a granddaughter that lives over here. She's married. And when she was about three years old, she asked her mom, you seen her, you met uh, Carol, she said, do the clouds obey God? Mm -hmm. And she says, yeah, do the rocks obey God? She started going through everything. <laughs> and then she said, do people obey God? Mm -hmm. And that's always stuck with me because wow. Carol, Carol was sort of stuck. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. And she had to say, you know, they have to choose. And, you know, those kinds of things you're talking, you know, do kids uh, kids get to the crux of things sometimes yeah and Jesus is in that mm -hmm. uh, that presence of the reality of our frailties and our who image of God I guess mm. yeah when we're older we miss kids so we don't get that mm. so that you may get too much of it, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but we envy the ones that still have their kids. Right. I appreciate it in the chapter, you know, that he points out that, that yes, as parents we get exhausted. Um, and that that's, that that's normal. But that, but that even as a parent, I have not just a responsibility, but I have an opportunity to encounter Jesus even when I'm tired of being in the presence of children. I was noticing, as I was talking about, you know, how how easy it is, how, how quickly kids pick up on whether or not you are present in their lives. And um, I noticed this because every once in a while, when I, I'm, I'm a substitute, and so... Every once in a while when I get into a classroom, they have a special program that only the teachers have access to where, you know, nowadays when, when the kids have a sub, instead of just handing out worksheets like we used to do, the kids all have a Chromebook. And so the assignments are all posted there and the kids are just there to do their assignment. And so, you know, as a substitute, you're walking around trying to make sure that everybody's staying on task. 
And and it always it always made me wonder because I would look in classrooms and I would see you know the students all working and the teacher would be at their desk. I'm like, what is going on? And I realized that the teachers have a program that they can open up where they can see a live screen of every single Chromebook that's attached to <laughs> oh the the network in that room. That and right? so the teacher can actively be watching that. And but what I've noticed is that when I'm in a classroom and I have that, if I open that screen up and I look at it briefly. Suddenly the entire room changes because the kids, even if they don't notice it, even if they couldn't say that they noticed it, they know when I stop watching them and I turn and start looking at a screen. Like they know and then the behavior changes right. and the, the, the compliance level changes. All of those things in the room change whenever I shift my... So it's almost as though I, I could see how this is a useful tool and I've... I've I've watched teachers use it in a way that's helpful, where they are, where, where this is just a part of what they're doing. But for me as a sub, it's it's more important that I be engaged in you know in eye contact with just being present. Like kids know almost instinctively whether we are present in their lives in this moment, um, and especially now that they are you know so inundated with screens and distractions and all of those things. Um, they know and they switch off. They they can tell if we are engaged in them, if we're if, if we're present for them in this moment. The 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 entire relationship dynamic changes when that phone comes out of our pocket, when you know the television goes on, when the computer comes out. Um, the relationship changes. Our daughter used to say, "Look at us, look at me with your eyes." Uh huh. <laughs> look at me with your eyes. Uh, because they can tell when you're not paying attention. Right. Appreciated this the, this language that he used on, this is on 90 and 91, where he talked about far from children being a hindrance to mission in our neighborhood, being with children is actually an important way we discern and give witness to God's <coughs> kingdom coming into the world. That we can actually, because, but the, the presence of children and being present to children opens up entirely new ways of, of doing work. And, uh, and and doing ministry in especially in our neighborhoods. Now you know it, it would be you know weird if you know you're you're the pastor and you just you know just wander around the playground trying to be present in the lives of you know strangers' children. That would be that would be an inappropriate way of being of being present. Uh, you know that's that's not engaging uh, engaging Christ uh, in in those places. But but I'm thinking more in terms of like our our neighborhoods. Um, in, in places where we have relationships with people or in places where we, we live and move in a different way, a place where we're not where we're not going into a place with, uh, with a sense of control, maybe. I'm trying to think what the, the best way to describe because sometimes we can go into um, you know into places as, as pastors or as, as ministers or as teachers or you know whatever whatever capacity we have and we, we go into a space where like we're the one that's in charge and I'm going to you know distill things to you and that's that's of course exactly the opposite of being present that's forcing other people to be present to you rather than you going into a place and, and simply saying I'm here what are you going to do Jesus where are you at work right now um, and that's the place where mission happens. That's the place where we submit ourselves again to the mission of God. God active in the world through the incarnate Christ. When we submit ourselves to him in those places, something changes. Because we join him in that work that he's accomplishing.
So I'm wondering if you have had experiences where being with children has opened up opportunities for you to join God in his mission. For the two times I could think of specifically. Three to succeed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I keep bringing up every week. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it was really a good time. Mm-hmm. And then also uh, when I worked in the children's shelter in Tutela in South Africa. Um, I did a couple different things, but I would go in the like afternoon time, mm-hmm. and I always had like baked goods, and I would give them to the teenagers and hang out with the teenagers. And then I went at night time with a bedtime snack and helped give baths and tuck in the little kids. Mm-hmm. And so that, and I read them bedtime stories. And so that, I mean, nothing was like really huge, but like specifically one girl I know I kept in contact with after I left, and she graduated high school, and that was like huge. Mm-hmm. And so just the relationships that were built during that time, I think that was really mm-hmm. But I don't really know how that answers your question, but those are the two things that come to mind. Yeah. When we went to visit my family in Arizona um, uh, at the beginning of October, my my sister and brother-in-law have... Um, have a fairly large house and so we had you know spaces for everybody to sleep um you know jess and i were in were in a guest room we had ian with us and the girls were were sleeping in the room with their their cousins um but i have a a nephew who is uh, their ages are just about the the same kind of breakup as as our kids they're they they're they're all older but they're sort of like shifted forward so their youngest is the same age as moira um and two weeks apart yeah, so they have two two girls and a boy, and and he was born essentially the same time as as Moira, but the girls, you know, like like girls do a lot of times when they just you know they 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 start playing and off they go and they just are in their own little universe, um, and so that left Ian and my nephew, and the age difference, you know, is is like with with Moira and and Ian, but I like I watched him sort of as he has this this younger cousin with him and we were there for for four and a half days you know we 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 stayed there for four nights and and just like watching him like shift into this this mode of like older brother Mm -hmm. where he was you know he he was like yeah we can do that he would just play the games that ian wanted to play and you know and yeah the same things over and over again but he would he, he would just say okay and then off he would go and like I, I was, I was so deeply impressed watching this that, like, I, I sat down with him toward the end, and I, I, I told him, I'm like, I'm so proud of you. Like the way that you have taken care of 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 Ian is so impressive. And then, as as I was having that conversation with him, I realized that what I was doing was seeing what Jesus was doing in the midst of this relationship. That that God was present in the midst of this relationship and he was the the two of them together just were 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 off and they were you know best friends but they had shifted into this mode where he normally is you know the baby in the family and mm-hmm. you know even with his with, with his cousins who are boys he's always kind of in the middle age range but he got to be the one who was in charge and so he would you know he would do it but I would hear him sometimes he's like no Ian that's not safe <laughs> like he would correct Ian's behavior to take care of him in, in these places I just I was like look at look at what's happening right here like I you know mm-hmm. 
And I don't, I, I, he probably won't remember that conversation that I had with him, but I remember that conversation. I'm like, I'm so incredibly proud of you. The, the way that you, uh, you know, there, you're so, you were so patient and kind and gentle and, um, and that it was, it was an incredible thing to see. Well, I'm wondering if after reading this, you thought of ways or opportunities that you can put these practices to work in your own life. Like, what, what do you think it's going to look like for you, having, having read these ideas, to go out and be present in the lives of children? Obviously, one of the ways is you can you can help out on Sunday mornings with our, uh, you know, with our catechesis time, and that that's that's fantastic. But I don't think that's the only way. There there are lots of ways that we can do that. Well, I get to take my 16 year old granddaughter to school, mm-hmm. and that's I'm learning that's a great time to listen and yeah. even to share what it was like when I was 16. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Which might be a surprise. Yeah. But yeah, it's just. Like this morning, I took her. It was just, uh, it's 15 minutes, but it's a good time to. Mm-hmm. But like I said, we don't get as many opportunities as you do. <laughs> so uh, it would be good to look for opportunities. Yeah. I miss that a lot of times. I miss times, Carlisle. Right? I like Carlisle in the morning. Yeah. Taking, taking the kids to school in the morning. I, I miss doing that. Sometimes I end up substitute teaching at Tully's school, and so then she just rides with me, and I get some of that, some of that face-to-face time. But I all all last year, I took the I, I took the kids to school, and you know, for a large portion of that, we would you know we had a book on tape that we would listen to together, and we would talk about it, or um, you know, sometimes we'd pray the the morning office together, and that was really that was really special as well, you know, hearing them. You know, there there was a, a version of it where the, the the guy would sing, and I would hear them, you know, like chanting along with with the office, and it was really fun. It annoyed Moira, but I think <laughs> secretly yeah. she was really happy whenever we did that. Well, I don't miss the salt and vinegar chips at seven thirty in the morning in the car. No, that's a unique, a that's unique way to start the day. Breakfast, salt and vinegar chips. Oh, they love strong salt and in the car chips. or in the front there. Especially in the winter when the heater is going, here's like. Who was I, eating I'm salt being and vinegar potato chips? They all Both do. of them. <laughs> and then they breathe on you and ask you questions. They have to have first breakfast. They're hobbits. They have to have first breakfast. Then they get school eat breakfast. It's cold. It's cold. They still do it. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. They still breakfast before and then they eat breakfast again. <laughs> I can't survive without that. <laughs> I was in inter- Was it here that talked about, and we, we, we've institutionalized pre- uh presence with kids with mm-hmm. confirmation right and how to make those more be maybe more meaningful mm-hmm. uh, find ways to confirm uh, children like you did your nephew or mm-hmm. your nephew yeah mm-hmm. uh, find ways to confirm uh, right to, to look at them and say look at this thing yeah. that you just did that's Christ at work in you. Yeah. Like this is you growing yeah. into the image of Jesus. This is this is you living in the life of the Holy Spirit. You know. And they said they had there were so many kids coming along they didn't have time to, to be yeah. with them. Right? right. They had to put them, take them to church and listen <laughs> or something. I think for me, like trying to teach the Sunday school curriculum and stuff, it's like I don't want to be macaroni. Jesus saves mm-hmm. you, <laughs> but. Like, it, it is like, 
I find it to be a, an interesting balance of how how do you transmit information to children mm -hmm. while also being this like loving open presence mm -hmm. to them as well. So I just I've been thinking a lot about this whole topic since starting to to do the Sunday school. Right. I don't have like a solution or anything, but mm -hmm. it is just something that I've been thinking about a lot because. I don't want to be macaroni Jesus. Right. Well, I know that that was one of James the big. Won't cut you. The, yeah, that's the, true. <laughs> all right, James will correct you. We <laughs> I know for us that that was one of the the big questions that we had when we were looking at the different I curriculum. Right? We want to make sure that this is that this is doing catechesis that we're that we're instilling the faith in them, and there's a place for arts and crafts along yeah. with that. You know, there's a there there has. Theology is bad theology if it doesn't lead us into creativity. So, like, that should be an extension or, right. <laughs> or something alongside what they're learning. But I definitely remember, you know, it not being that in, in programs that I was involved in, both on, on both sides as a kid and, you know, later on as an adult. We're like, this isn't really doing that. And, yeah. you know, I love hearing the kids doing, you know, doing the, the prayer, uh, you know, the the. The, the prayers at the beginning of the service, I, mm -hmm. you know, because I'm usually in my, you know, everybody's in here, but I'm in my office, and so I can hear everything mm -hmm. in the hallway. I can hear all of the kids reciting the prayers and the confession and doing that. Mm -hmm. I love that, like, we're getting them into this rhythm of mm -hmm. this, you know, kind of like we do. We, we sit down and we're like, we're going to do a Bible study, but it's going to be bookended with prayer. This is, this is something that happens in the midst of our prayer life together, because yeah. the prayer life for, for us, especially as Anglicans, that's what centers us, is, you know, we, we, we welcome Jesus into our presence, we confess, we, we hear from Scripture, and then we bring our needs to Him. And then that, that like, that's the rhythm of our, mm -hmm. of, of our meetings and our gatherings. I was just thinking about one more thing that happened that reminds me of, like, Jesus and kids and stuff, is the kids' corner that they used to do in my hometown, and it was... It was actually for like an after-school program that mm -hmm. the church did. Oh. So um, anybody like that needed childcare or just wanted to go, like my mm -hmm. nephews and stuff didn't need childcare; they just liked to go. Right. And it was like children's church or vacation Bible school, but it was every day after school. So they oh, would wow. just walk across the park to the um, parsonage, I think, like the old parsonage at the Methodist church. And they would do a Bible study, craft time, snack, homework help, wow. whatever at the church, tutoring. And my nephews went all the time, and they loved it. They became friends with the pastors. Mm -hmm. um, one year for Christmas, the pastor got the kids a bike. Like, just random relationship building mm -hmm. for an after-school program where kids could just, like little kids, like third, fourth grade, could go hang out mm -hmm. at Kids Corner every day after school. Wow. So that was a really cool set up in our hometown that the kids needed and built a foundation on with kids that normally wouldn't have mm -hmm. that. David, I don't know if you're comfortable sharing, but I, I would I, I was interested reading this, thinking about like what what does reaching out to kids, doing kids ministry look like in in a mission field? Well I, I think there's you know different cultural patterns mm -hmm. for how kids really um, and I think pretty much all the situations that we've been in, except where we've had too much influence maybe, uh, children are very much a part mm -hmm. of 
worship, like if it's a house church with new believers and right. children. It's a family. Uh-huh. So it's an all-family kind of... So it's everybody Maybe like the early church. Uh-huh. And uh, so... So... Uh, and... and there's a whole different dynamics. When I was in Myanmar, I thought one time to think, you know, when do your when do uh, when does leadership form mm-hmm. among children or in, among adults? And they get into leadership at 13 or 14 wow. in praise and worship. Mm-hmm. And but the adults are dying off it in their 60s, right? Mm-hmm. 50s and 60s. So. They're just a sort of, they take responsibilities sooner at work or in the home. And I suppose that takes place in the church, too. It takes place there, too. That's interesting. I think, maybe, yeah, and I think we wait a long time before we let children take leadership, right? Mm -hmm. Or teenagers or... Yeah. we heard some interesting conversations on that topic at our at our synod um, a couple of weeks ago, and they were kind of pushing us on exactly that point. They're like, "Let the kids step in. Let let them let them do things. Let them let them read. Let them teach. Let them you know let them step into these roles. They're you know they're they're ready for it. I think I think that's our our one of one of our issues as Anglicans is that it's it's very easy for us to think that like. Religion is a professional thing that we have, you know, professional people, and their job is to sort of, you know, they're gonna they're they're gonna do the liturgy or do the sacraments in a certain way, and it's gonna happen this way. And we, we kind of we lose that idea that this is something that originally emerged in you know very very small communities where there was you know a, you know a few dozen people, and they were you know all family one one direction or another and there was you know somebody there who was a priest and then anything else that had to get done had to get done by somebody that had hands to do it and so everyone was involved all the time um, and we forget that I asked to be when I was 18 I asked to be on the finance committee of my church and they told me no I was too young and I'm like I'm an adult and I'm asked <laughs> but not be, an adult and I had that I had this slight realization like I can't go to this church anymore because they're always going to see me as a child. I'm never going to be able to be on any huh. committees that make any kind of decisions in the church. So, I can't remember where this topic came up. It may I don't know if it was here or Africa or where. But um, last week or the week before, we were talking about like the soul friendships and the mentoring and all mm-hmm. that. And um, you know, in, in South Africa, we had the coaching and the whatever. And um, I don't remember where this conversation was, but about everybody in the church having that mentor, that spiritual friend, and including the kids. So even the all the way down. So like um, the adults would all have one, but then so even like maybe Tully would be Moe's, and Moe's would be Ian's, and Ian would be James. You know, like all the way down, and mm-hmm. like so then everyone is a leader, but also everyone is being led. Right. So it goes back and forth. And that's something that's always intrigued me, I guess, like because to have that one-on-one relationship, but then also, so you're giving and receiving time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
Well, it's a good tie-in too, because the the next chapter that we're reading is in the book. It's called the fivefold giftings. But what it talks about is what does it look for look like for us to take the individual giftings that we have and apply them to leadership in all of the various kinds of leadership that we have in the church. So I think it's a a, a good transition into our discussion for next week. Thank you for checking out Thin Places today. If you were blessed by your time with us and want to know more, check out anchor.fm forward slash thin dash places for more homilies, devotionals, and worship from St. Aidan's Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. And make sure to follow us and leave a comment and join us again next time in common prayer, common worship, and common life. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Father is restored.